0: I went
1: to a marvelous party. Facts. most people don't even know the fact. The they go with their gut. Don't, don't have only enough left Cares about your money.
2: <laughs> Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time.
1: Fine, you first, Eric. <laughs> Welcome to the Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And this is our very special first ever The first Forky ever, Awards. right? Where we I thought we were going to say it at the same time. Uh-oh. That's all right. One, two, three. Forky, Forky awards! awards! That was not rehearsed, ladies and gentlemen. Not rehearsed at all. I know you couldn't tell. Um, so tell us, this these awards were actually your idea, Eric Sharquin. Well, Why don't you explain for our party people what they're about? Last year, uh, prematurely,
2: we did a best of report like three weeks into launching the show in the
1: first place.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and we said, well, next year... After we've actually been on the air for a while and people are, you know, listening to the show and stuff, (laughs) we could ask uh, the listeners to pick what their favorite... So we did. So we put a survey up a few weeks ago, and and whatever, and
1: we have uh, best serving,
2: which is best. Right. We appreciate your nominations, and we appreciate your voting, and yeah, we've got best.
1: Best special correspondent. Yeah, we might as well
2: just have called it best sketch. I wanted to come up with something clever, and Christopher just always says so. Best serving is yeah, best sketch. We have the tonight. We have the top four runners up and winner of uh, best sketch, and then the top four. for best, most special, special (laughs) correspondent.
1: It's a very...
2: So best serving and most special. A very, very
1: simple award show complicatedly explained. There are two categories of (laughs) winners. But also I think we wanted to feature our runners-up as well because we took a sort of general open nominations process on the Facebook page for our party people and that's what we picked our five nominees in each category from. So
2: And it's kind of New Year's-ish so countdowns seem appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, so we're going to count down throughout tonight's show from nominee four to the winner in both of the uh, the categories.
1: Yeah. Okay. And we're also counting down something else.
2: Oh, right. We did our own top ten list of the uh, the best. Our top ten favorite things for. Uh, 2013.
1: Favorite things, meaning cross-genre, not just movies, not just books, not just TV shows, but a little bit of everything could go on the list. Like
2: Christopher is fancy about this. Yeah, I no, fancy no, 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 about no, no, no. best serve, but like yeah, I could our not, favorite
1: things. I could not think of ten best of anything. I'm way too much of a critical bitch to go in that direction. I couldn't think of ten TV shows that I would put on a ten best list, and I couldn't think of ten movies either, so I'm glad that I actually have a thing. I have a thing on my list. I won't reveal which one it is yet, but it's a thing. It's an object. It's a product that was released this year. So, yeah.
2: So, we came up with our ten favorite things. (laughs) Ironically, Christopher has a thing on his list.
1: Absolutely. It's our ten
2: favorite things for uh a for 2010, and we we don't know
1: what the other person has written on their list, so we're revealing these to each other and to you. So this is basically an excuse for us to criticize the other person's top 10 list of things.
2: Yeah, right. That's where we're going.
1: Okay, all right. So are we going to start? We're going to start with yeah. number 10 and count down to one. Sure,
2: right? that's yes. What we... that's, that's the plan here, so we'll see how long we can stand this.
1: Okay. All right. I am nervous about revealing my number ten, but so why don't you go first? Okay. Uh
2: my number ten favorite thing from twenty thirteen is that the Senate passed Enda. And uh we would like wow. to urge John Boehner, who for, who recently called out the uh his own anarchist wing for destroying his own party, to get on board and uh Get Enda voted on in the House, and uh, also immigration reform would be
1: nice. We wouldn't oh. mind that,
2: too. But, yeah, so I pick Enda. <laughs> You're Just my ten.
1: a man of substance. My top ten thing. You picked a, a law that will benefit people. I picked the movie Pacific Rim Is my number oh, ten. Oh, that was so much fun, <laughs> where they
2: built giant robots to go out and punch fish. And they were kaiju. I love they they that movie.
1: They were not fish. They came through an interdimensional portal in the ocean, and they started wrecking like cities. Like Wide and Charlie Hunnam did a hot, vaguely incestuous oh thing with his own brother at the beginning god, of the movie where they had the mind off his melt. shirt a bunch, which I the really whole movie had his shirt off. It was a great film. Although I will, I'll add a disclaimer here. During the movie, Eric and I had stopped off at a candy shop at the Grove. It's actually a chain. It's Ralph Lauren's daughter has like Dylan's candy shop. Oh my or something. god, it's so great! And they have pretzels dipped in white chocolate and I was eating them during the Is movie? It pretzels? No, it's bugles! bugles. It's bugles. Oh my god, it's the best yes. corn horns. Corn horns they're called. And I was eating them during the movie and I think it significantly significantly, excuse me, enhanced my experience of Pacific Rim Are and you perhaps were both eating them during the guaranteed, movie. Guaranteed. We? Yes, was... but you walked out with a much more critical take on the movie than than I did. I don't know if the corn horns had the same I don't think narcotic th- effect on you. Corn
2: horns don't have the ability to prevent me. I loved the movie. I had a <laughs> (laughs) great time. I have a like I wanna start an award show called the Velveeta Awards or something right. where we actually give out awards for big, cheesy, stupid movies because I love the Oscars and I love Oscar worthy films and I like serious filmmaking, but I also love Pacific Rim. Yes. I had a great time at Battleship last year, which oh, was, that was a, a terrible
1: sh- movie, and we, movie. I laughed until you were I was you didn't you were mad at me because you found out on the way in because I told you it that it three, wasn't in three D and you you were like, well, why are we seeing this if it's not in 3D? Why
2: would we see this shit movie in a theater if it's not in 3D? It was funny, but yeah, it should have been in 3D. Okay, so that's...
1: So Pacific Rim is my number 10 on my top 10 favorite things of 2013. Number 9? What's your number 9? Number 9 is the novel Red Moon by Benjamin Percy. It is, I can't describe it as anything other than a werewolf apocalypse novel. And let me just say here, as a side note here, that an honorable mention goes to a little book called The Wolves of Midwinter by Anne Rice, which I actually think is one of her Best novels. Yeah. Um, but I thought it would just be sort of pantering and obvious and biased if I included it on my top 10 list of favorite things. However, if my mother were asked to produce a top 10 list and she did not put The Heavens Rise on it, that would be it. So I'm not sure what I just said or where my moral compass on this issue is, but Red Moon is um, a hard novel to describe. It sort of treats werewolfism. As a virus that the contemporary world responds to, like um, terrorism or a genetic mutation, and it is very much about terrorism, but it's a, a big, juicy, scary, dark, apocalyptic novel with some great characters and just beautiful, beautiful writing. And while it's no Heaven's Rise or (laughs) Wolves of Midwinter,
2: it's also good. So once you've read those two, if you're out of things, Christopher liked Red Moon.
1: (laughs) I liked Red Moon. And apparently so did Stephen King because he tweeted about it from his brand new twitter account just a few weeks ago so but despite that <laughs> we still recommend it and like the this... author
2: of the tommy <laughs> right. says oh, that red God. moon is a good book okay spacemen buried in the backyard <laughs> really okay and they have been for years all right then <laughs> all right eric Sharquin. what's your number nine number nine is jason collins robbie rogers tom daly and darren young have followed matt and martina and billy jean as they have led gay athletes
1: out of the closet so all of those are your number nine, that long list I of
2: individuals. I love that, yeah. that we're starting to—I'd like to I'll start seeing people in the NFL. I I, I
1: want I think for that's being next.
2: gay to be no big deal. I think that is the secret to equal rights. And I love that this sort of sacred cow of uh, athletes, professional athletes, is starting to—people are starting to come out and— I think eventually
1: it will be no big deal, and they're starting to come out while they are still professional. Right, athletes, they're not waiting until it's a career some move. Some people who, who I... have a memoir to publish or a oh post. god, that was so tedious. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. I'm anyway. not going to name any names, but yeah, I'm yeah. not
2: really. I don't hate, yeah, I do. I hate that. I hate it when <laughs> after they've exhausted all of their possible endorsements and all of their possible whatever, that then when they need to sell their memoir because they're out of other fundraising things as a career move, right? they come out of the closet. I think that's boring and kind of creepy and so, kind of jerky.
1: So it's great that all these individuals yeah, are making this I'm really
2: to happy you. to start seeing professional athletes come out of the closet. I know Chris is. Christopher's particularly pleased to that
1: Tom Daly uh, it come was a it closet. was a bittersweet coming out because he has a boyfriend but and I know his boyfriend so I wish them all the best as I grit my teeth in the corner no it's fine his
2: alleged boyfriend his they alleged haven't boyfriend. they haven't copped to him. Eric, well, we're getting, maybe, Eric we're getting
1: maybe. Eric, we're, we're getting the the evidence is just mounting and mounting and mounting they tweeted a picture together with Cleve Jones recently in oh. San Francisco they went to visit Cleve together Dustin's uh-huh. mentor so I I respect your opinion and but I I think we're getting closer to to when they say that they, when proof. they
2: say that they are,
1: then they are. Okay, sounds good to me. All right, so where are we? We're at number. What is your number nine? Was that very long list of people that you rolled into one item? My number eight is the movie Gravity. I haven't seen it. Yes. Well, then I guess we can't talk about it. But well, I can't tell you it's in three D and yeah. she's in
2: space. And it's that director has finally directed something that won't make me want to gouge out my eyes, apparently.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I have to say this is one of the most suspenseful movies I've ever seen. And I said much of what other people I know said about it when they saw it. It was a great movie, great film experience. I never want to see it again. Because it's so unrelentingly suspenseful. She literally spends the entire movie in an environment that could kill her if she makes one wrong move. And there's no sense of safety and stability and comfort. But what's brilliant about it is that everything about the construction and filmmaking of it reflects that. The camera literally never stops moving. But not in that Blair Witchy Steadicam kind of way. But in that, how do you choose to compose and set up a shot when you have no walls, when you have no solid ground, when you have no wait for it gravity
2: the thing that I think is the most compelling about it is that it is it is an experiential film it is about having the experience of being there because of the use of the technology Mm -hmm. it is one of the most imaginative and brilliant realizations of the whole 3D the move towards the holodeck I just think Mm -hmm. that's the entertainment thing I want us to develop is the holodeck when we're there we will have arrived that's what we're really but this is as close as we've gotten
1: so far absolutely Absolutely. So what is your number eight, Eric Sharquin? The
2: Dinner Party Show marks and survives a one-year anniversary. (laughs) That's
1: your number eight? Yes. Cool. Excellent. I'm very
2: happy that The Dinner Party Show has uh, a year under its belt. It has been a great experience and one of my favorite fun things. And I also think it's a really good show.
1: Yeah, I do too. I do, too. But, you know, it's our show. It's, I, what, it, what My mom's piece of advice on writing, write the book you want to read. We put together the radio show we want to listen to. Absolutely. And
2: this is my favorites list, so, yeah. yeah. So, anyway... What's Excellent. your number
1: eight? Well, my number eight was actually Gravity. I did Oh, okay. We already you. did eight. Okay, then seven. My number seven is BentCon, which is the gay Comic-Con that I've attended now Friday, twice in a row. You had a great time. I... I did. I did. It is held here in California. I'm not sure if it's moving this year, but I think it's moving within L.A. It was at the Burbank Airport Marriott for several years, which is actually a rather nice airport Marriott, if I do say so myself. But it is gay Comic Con. I mean it is you you have the experience of going to be with the other nerds like you and not having to ask that question of whether or not the guy in the hot Green Lantern costume is or isn't. He probably is. It's gay Comic Con. He's probably gay. And if
2: he doesn't if he's not, well then he has nobody himself to blame for people assuming that he is. Exactly.
1: He's hanging with the wrong crowd. Right. I think the highlight of it was they did they call it cosplay, these these nerds out there. Uh, Which is their costume contest. It is dressing up like one of your favorite characters is a form of cosplay, I guess, if I'm defining it correctly. And a gentleman dressed as uh, the sheriff from The Walking Dead. And he had a zombie on a chain walking behind him. And when they got up to the stage, he and the zombie began making out. Much to the great pleasure of the entire wow. audience. Yes, it was. I'm
2: sorry I missed that. <laughs> it was really great. Yeah, it was, it was cool. Fantastic. Well, maybe next
1: year I'll be invited. Well, maybe next year. Yeah, we'll both go. But we don't want to. We have plans for BentCon next year, but they're early to discuss. Okay. Well,
2: that's actually a bunch of things. What do you say we go to our first? Uh, Award winner. Sounds good to me. I think that sounds like a really good plan, because I think people probably are dying to know who was nominated for our fourth runner-up in the best serving category.
1: So this is our nominee, but not our winner in that category. Right, this is fourth (laughs) runner-up. Okay, and Eric Shaquin, I believe this is one of your sketches. No, no, I'm incorrect. I'm I'm just now receiving word. That my uh, sketch came in last the, in this category. The envelope, please. Last place in best serving is audiobook bestsellers, The Ever-Breaking Heart of the Fallen Angels I by love this one. Jimmy Assaker. So I'm glad it came in last place. So here we are.
2: And now, in keeping with the dinner party show's tradition of celebrating literacy and the written word, We bring you an excerpt from one of this week's best-selling audiobook titles, the latest release from multiple Edgar Award-winning mystery writer Edward Lee Hopkins' Bruce Feather. The Los Angeles Review of Books describes Bruce Feather as a cross between Cormac McCarthy and that uncle you can never get to stop talking about Vietnam. His latest book is called The Ever-Breaking Heart of the Fallen Angels. It's his 19th novel, featuring
5: Jimmy Assaker. I awoke to the sight of lions tearing the flesh from a gazelle. I watched in horror as the gazelle's blood flowed, red and unstoppable as a baby's insides. The lion's eyes a-twinkle with primal ferocity and raw appetite, delighted in the gnashing of flesh and bone which they had initiated in the morning light of a forsaken dawn. I was powerless to stop them. Powerless once again to stop the slaughter, just as I had been powerless to stop the murder of Suzelle Luttrell a week before. But I couldn't tear my eyes away from the hot red commerce of death and destruction, which often led me to commit acts of inexplicable, plot-advancing violence against my adversaries. Then my wife walked in and changed the channel to the Today Show. I never saw what happened to the gazelle, but I'm pretty sure it was toast.
4: You gotta ride and get me some milk, Jimmy Assacre.
5: I couldn't bring myself to tell my wife that the side of milk's inexorable white flow always reminded me of a man named Hyatt Dirt Dauber, who I'd shot through the heart with an Apache crossbow when I caught him fornicating with a young prostitute girl whose parents had been trampled by wild elk when she was five years old. Hyatt was a sick bastard who liked to drink milk while he had sex with young prostitutes.
4: Are you going to get me some milk or not, Jimmy?
5: I agreed to my wife's intrusive request, if only because it allowed me to walk for several blocks focusing on every atrocity I had ever witnessed or heard tell of in my lifetime. But eventually, my thoughts of the Titanic and the Jonestown Massacre coalesced around an image of Suzelle Luttrell that had run in our local paper the week before. She was a sweet, pretty girl, as all murdered girls are. Before her death, she had been stripped naked and her clothes had been strung from telephone lines all over town before being set aflame by her killer in five different locations. Her only son was missing, presumably sold into white slavery, and someone had released wild dogs into her home where they had urinated over every inch of her small, humble house before someone had driven a Mack truck through it. It was a hell of a lot of trouble to go through to kill a girl who worked the counter at Walgreens, but the police didn't have any leads. They only really cared about all the burning clothes on telephone lines because that had shut down a few roads and people in small towns hate that. I tried to focus on what I knew about Suzelle as I walked to the grocery store, but the sounds of passing cars were like fallen angels being dragged behind trucks by chains through forests of stinging nettles while trained seals barked nearby because they were getting tased by a Nazi stormtrooper. Suzelle Luttrell, sweet, innocent. Now her son was missing, her house a ruin that smelled of dog urine and diesel fuel, and my tired behind was going to the grocery store to get some milk because my wife didn't want to hear me complain about another terrible hangover. In the grocery store, I began to weep uncontrollably at the sight of a little girl who would have looked just like Suzelle Luttrell if she'd been five feet taller and about ten years older and had corn silk blonde hair instead of short brown hair and a page boy cut still the time it took me to weep was also the time i needed to remember where the milk was i was wandering down the aisle in the direction of where i thought the milk should be when i felt movement on the back of my neck i spun on my attacker images of tracer fire and jungle fields bathed in agent orange lit up my vision Even though I'm 65 and subsist entirely on a diet of chili con carne and Jack Daniels, I used several jujitsu moves to land my attacker flat on his back on a pile of canned peas. I saw, to my shame, that it was one of the checkout kids, fresh-faced and innocent, and obviously eager to find out if this old man had been lost. I almost apologized before I realized it had been almost half a chapter before I'd done something rash and reckless as a result of a flashback to Vietnam. And so I continued on, weeping to find the milk.
1: Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and that was Jimmy Asaker. And The Ever-Breaking Heart of the Fallen Angels. Yes, an installment in our regular series, Audiobook Bestsellers, although I'm not sure how regular it is because we haven't done it in months. But, but that's from our very first show, and I think it's one of our best segments. I
2: love that. It's Christopher's baby, and it I just... I get to enjoy myself. What was the one, satire The snowman, Every Snowman?
1: But... Well, you know, I satire... You can't satire what you don't love. Yeah. I really believe that's true. And so I satire the genres that I read, and this is the hard-boiled noir satire that you just heard. And then I did the Swedish crime novel... Was it The Abominable Snowman or The Indomitable Snowman? I, I just. Believe, was, by Lusarg Foster. Literally,
2: I had to get below Christopher's eye line because I was laughing so hard he couldn't keep reading if yeah. he could see me. So I had to to hide out. Yeah. That happened once with Buzz Kilton and once with the
1: It happens a lot. It happens a lot. Where,
2: yeah, it, we get ourselves cracked up and we have to go in different rooms to finish recording stuff. Okay. So now it's time for a fourth runner up in the most special category.
1: I believe this is one of your sketches, Eric Shark. Well, this is a character. Oh, okay. This is the oh, this right. is, this this is most special, special correspondent.
2: correspondent. We're going to have a sample sketch from the character, but the. The people have spoken. (laughs) The people have spoken, and Eric and Chris have not rehearsed. And our fairly imbalanced newsman, Breck Artery, was chosen as the fourth runner-up for Most Special. So here, without further ado, is the TDPS Director of
1: News, Breck Artery. TDPS News takes you live to Breck Artery at the West Hollywood Children's Library. Breck
2: This is Brick Artery coming to you live from the children's reading room at the West Hollywood Public Library. This seems an appropriate spot to discuss the outcome of the mythical fiscal cliff faced down by the mythical leaders in this country last week. Here in the children's theater one day in the not too distant future, children will be regaled with heavily illustrated stories and puppet shows about how the brave elected civil servants in this country faced down the big bad financial crisis they themselves had created. According to their fable, if the magic words weren't uttered by the intractable obstructionist party by the stroke of midnight, the whole country would turn into a pumpkin, or at least outtakes from a Mad Max movie. Of course, that turns out to be as fictional as the bravery of those same spineless obstructionists who also last week couldn't muster the guts to vote to send disaster relief to those wiped out by Hurricane Sandy, but that's not fun, so let's get back to our tale. The story goes something like this. Once upon a time, in 2011, when the obstructionists refused to pay the bills on the debt they themselves had run up by refusing to raise the money they needed to pay the bills or to stop spending like a bunch of drunken fools, they got out their sabers and rattled them very loudly until they forced everyone to agree to a magical spell they called a sequester. The sequester spell, they said, would magically compel all the evil, spendthrift politicians who cruelly wanted to pay the bills and stop running up huge debts instead to make drastic cuts in all the wasteful government programs that the obstructionist party was refusing to pay for. The obstructionists believe that everyone was evil who was trying to run the terrible country the obstructionists loved and wanted to dismantle instead of governing, as the foolish citizens had hired them to do. (laughs) Instead, the obstructionists believed they should be actively working to destroy and overthrow the awful, terrible government that was preventing everyone from being rich and happy. They hoped one day to bring an end to the United States by drowning it in a bathtub to save it. This they called patriotism. Really, no kidding, they still do. Go figure, anyway. So, when Republicans and Democrats, who only wanted to govern, could stand the obstructionists saber-rattling no longer, they fell under the spell of the sequester. Then, an amazing thing happened. The obstructionists realized that there would be political consequences to drowning the stuff that people really love about the country in that bathtub. They were afraid that they might lose the jobs they had gone to so much trouble to get, working for the federal government they hated so much. Yeah, I don't get that part either. Anyway, what will we do, said the obstructionists. How will we destroy the government the people love without getting blamed for it, or worse, fired? And then, a magical plan occurred to them. They would refuse to drown any of the government at all, and insist that everyone else take the heat for the destruction they were too craven to carry out, even though it was pretty much all they talked about. To bend those who kept asking the obstructionists for suggestions to their will, the obstructionists invented a prophecy. Oh no! They foretold of a terrible mythical cliff that the whole country would fall off if everyone didn't do what the obstructionists were too chicken shit to do themselves. At the stroke of midnight, on the last day of the year 2012, they warned, if the world hasn't ended on the 21st, you, and by that we mean anyone but us, must have completely wiped out all the debt that we, the obstructionists, have run up, or at 12.01 a.m. January 1st, taxes will rocket up to the levels they were during the greatest sustained economic expansion the country has ever known. Apparently that was a bad thing. (laughs) Worse yet, the evil and unstoppable sequester will take all the candy from all the children in the country, end all the social programs, and disarm the military. The lights will go off, and Christmas will be cancelled. If I could do an evil laugh, I'd do one here. Suffice it to say, there'll be a mustache-twirling puppet to do the laugh by the time the traveling company version of this show makes it here and to children's theaters around the country. But the evil voters would not be swayed they cold-heartedly insisted the obstructionists actually say what they would do to save all this money they were insisting everyone else cut from the parts of the government that the voters loved but the obstructionists were nothing if not pig-headed so they stood their ground and lost and lost and lost <laughs> Still, they would not decide, and they would not let anyone else decide either. They just kept telling the same story over and over. So as the clock ticked nearer and nearer midnight on that fateful New Year's Eve, everyone had become convinced there really was a cliff, and we really were going to fall. This is the part where the media puppets will scream in terror really loudly for a really long time. Kind of like that saber rattling thing from earlier. Closer and closer the cliff drew and more and more people believed it was real. Wealth was lost, hiring was postponed, investments weren't made, houses went unsold, and real damage was done to real people. Oh no! And then, at midnight, at the stroke of 12, Nothing happened. Instead, they just voted to postpone the deadly sequester for a couple of months. Who knew they could do that, right? Some taxes were raised, rich people got huge breaks on investment income, and the folks who were actually trying to run the government and not destroy it managed once again to do so despite the brave obstructionists' best efforts and fairy stories. (coughs) To be fair, we're probably going to have to work on the ending when this becomes a puppet show, as children are apparently a much tougher audience than cable news watchers. But there's always a sequel. Have you heard the one about the fall of the deadly debt ceiling? And that's pretty much where we came in. It's like Wagner's Ring Cycle, but longer and less fun. Here's hoping that, if we can't get rid of the obstructionists, that they'll at least hire better writers and come up with a better story. Till next time, this is Breck Artery, wishing you happily ever afters, good night, and
3: good dinner. The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. We'll be the judge of that.
1: Welcome back to the Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice and I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And people never actually technically left the Dinner Party Show. Why do I keep saying that? It sounds like a real radio well, thing. Well, because people to might say. have
2: tuned in in the middle. It's we it does air live on our radio station. So that's true. We want them to know what they That's what IDs are for.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, Welcome <laughs> Back presumes NBC that they've been keeps here before. NBC telling you that
2: you're watching NBC even
1: though, you know, you know perfectly good and well what you're watching. That's true, but Welcome Back presumes that they've actually been here before. And I just think that's really arrogant of us. Because we're very, very humble here on The Dinner Party That's Show. right. Arrogance has
2: never been the hallmark of our programming here. We're Absolutely. all about you.
1: Okay, well we abandoned our own personal top ten list. We're uh doing the runners-up and well, winners of the Forkies. Well, it is also the Forky
2: Awards tonight so we wanted to get, we got too excited and we had to get to our, we'll come up with our third runner-ups in just a few minutes but we wanted to touch on a couple more about, from our own personal 2013 top ten favorites list. And, and
1: let's remind people that these are favorite things across a broad variety of categories and genres, which is a good thing because I bitched when I thought I had to come up with my ten favorite movies or books because I can't think of ten favorite movies. And or books.
2: Christopher's life is so hard. I know it's almost as hard as Eric's. The champagne is flat, and we're running low on caviar. Blow life your nose just gets and really let's hear your number seven. Sinus. Yes, apparently we're pointed out from Brandon. We we quit in the middle of seven, yes, so I because... didn't include my number seven. My number seven top ten favorite is. The Volcker Rule, which takes average Americans out of the business of insuring the reckless investment gambling losses of the big Reagan banks. That's right. We've actually—we're going to move away from the thing that caused the last financial crisis that nearly destroyed the world economy by no longer insuring— we're, we're separating the banks. They have to keep their business separate. Your deposits cannot be used to invest in speculative bullshit, which they may make a bunch of money on, okay. but if they lose their money,
1: we're not on the hook for it this okay. time. Okay. So I
2: think that's a pretty great number seven.
1: That's a pretty great continuation of this rather substantive list of favorite things compared to my bubblegum countdown over here of uh, movies and whatever. I, these but are my okay. 10 favorite things. I didn't. You th- just watch a lot more news than I do. I'm too busy reading Werewolf novels apparently. <laughs> okay, so my number 6. And let me add here before I say my number 6 that we also gave ourselves permission to pick things that we had discovered this year that weren't necessarily released this year. Absolutely. And I discovered a I don't even know what to call them. They're probably three guys with a synthesizer, but they are an outfit that makes trailer music basically. But it's music that that can it's like fake soundtrack music. It's called. They're called audio Machine. Sounds pretty. Excellent. It's amazing. It's amazing, and I, I I don't even know how you describe them. But the tracks are full length, whereas a lot of this stuff that you can find on iTunes is like cues and clips, and it's very short. And they have names like Andromeda Rising, and the President is a Target, and you know that they're not attached to any actual movie or Just TV like show. Uh, There's terrible titles on. Soundtrack. Yes.
2: Where they, yeah, those very That's, fun.
1: I, right. It's epic. It's just going to the bank. Epic music. It's just epic music. You can put it on while you're writing about all hellfire breaking loose in your story. And it's very inspiring. And so I just, I think the bet there are a lot of them that are very good. Two steps from hell. What's it called? Are good. These guys are called, or there maybe they're women as well, audio machine. And they have a lot of albums available on iTunes and so if you want to make your trip to the bathroom or the gym feel like a march right. through Game of Thrones you just pop in one of these uh tracks and you'll be good to go. Background music for your life. Absolutely. Audio machine. So you realize we're one off. You're 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 Right. Okay, so here, yeah, we're you?
2: that was the first we're going to do three more. Uh my number 6, right? That's
1: where we are. Yes, I just read my number six.
2: Okay, my number six is that Alabama and Louisiana actually turned away Tea Party primary candidates at the poll. And I want to shout out to the Duck Dynasty folks who actually supported the non-Tea Party candidate in Louisiana and he went down to defeat. They defeated the Tea Party guy. I'm hoping that we are going to move away from this anarchist kind of approach to government and I don't think there's anything wrong with conservatism but we still have to run the country. That's very true. I would love to see those people be able to make actual rational decisions Uh and compromises and participate in governance because they're not afraid that they're going to get primaried by some lunatic fringe nut back home when they leave
1: who was the guy the tea party guy who made the speech in front of that wall of antlers that rachel maddow kept playing? oh my god it was like a texas chainsaw massacre mural of he's dead a, animals he's
2: a yeah he's the head of the the science committee right who was denouncing evolution as the the word of the devil in right. the house of representatives from georgia
1: Oh, good Georgia, <laughs> Georgia, love Georgia. Not crazy about Georgia it. Georgia has actually opted out of evolution. They signed a decree; they're not going to take part in human evolution anymore. Is they're that just over in stay. Georgia? I mean, just there's not a there's an island around Atlanta, right, that I think where they exact. still actually are living yeah. in the 21st century with exactly. the rest of us, and totally. everybody
2: else is. I just wants to believe in fairy tales. Okay, number five. Christopher, what's your number five um, top favorite thing for 2013? My
1: number five was actually the second installment in the Waywards Pines, excuse me, Wayward Pines trilogy by Blake Crouch, who we have talked about a lot on the show, mainly because one of our guests in the past year is developing the TV also series. Also thrilling, right? Chad Hodge was here. He is developing with M. Night Shyamalan, who they call Knight, apparently. If you're a friend of his, you get to call him Knight. Okay, well, let's call him Knight. There, what's he going to do about it? I mean, Come really. Come the show so, and yell at us. Chad and Knight are developing a TV series based on these novels. The second one was released uh, by Blake and by Amazon. These are Amazon titles that they produce. Good. Yeah. Very exciting. Uh, that so came double out winner. this uh, year, and it's a great continuation of an already amazing story. There is a whopper of a twist at the end of the first one that is really the setup for these books, and I don't want to reveal it. I don't know how long they're going to go on the series without revealing it if they go too long it might get to be too long of a wait but They're what I love the most about these novels, so this is one of those things. I can talk about how much I love it up until a point, and then I have to stop. So I'm going to stop right now, but my number five, Wayward Pines by Blake Crouch. A very good choice. Very excellent. Also
2: very excited
1: about those. My number five is that the
2: Democrats use the (laughs) nuclear- Oh my
1: God, it's all politics (laughs) on your
2: list. (laughs) They use the nuclear option on filibustering presidential appointees. I am delighted that we are moving towards a place where we can actually get back to running the country and shut up about- people's personal political self-interest and re-election campaigns. So yes, I'm very pleased that the Democrats have changed the filibuster rules. I'd like to get rid of it altogether if people refuse to behave like responsible adults after we've given them the jobs that formerly had been performed by responsible adults. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Okay. Well, that's, that's I think, three on our list. Is it time to introduce I believe our third runner up for best serving. And I think that's an Eric Shaw Quinn sketch. Do we have in the slot for.
2: Absolutely. Best we serving. have
1: our, a very popular
2: uh, correspondent and uh, relationship advice columnist from the greater Poison Creek area. <laughs> Many of you may have heard of her. She's Miss L Sams. And her sketch about multicultural relationships, which was actually in response to a letter written by one of the party people. Um, so, it's a direct response to one of our regular listeners, uh, Miss Jonelle Sams.
1: It's time once again for The Dinner Party Show's Homemade Relationship Advice with Jonelle Sams. Hey,
2: this is Jonelle Sams with Homemade Relationship Advice. If you have a relationship question, you can send it to me, Care of the Dinner Party Show's Facebook fan page, or at Jonelle dinnerpartyshow.com. This week, we have a letter from a listener dealing with the challenges of a multicultural relationship. The letter reads, Dear Joe Nell, my sweetheart is a Turk. I'm American. How do I deal with the cultural differences that stress our relationship? He makes a mess and expects me to clean it up because his mother treated him like a king. He says that his inability to get romantic with me is my fault. He says being supportive, in quotation marks, equals joining him in any endeavor like a pyramid scheme. He's $1.5 million in debt. How am I supposed to pay that off with what I earn? Signed, not such Turkish delight. Well, delight, I'm not in a multicultural relationship, as you may know. Merle, my husband of 23 blissful years, grew up less than a mile from where I grew up. There is very little we don't have in common. After all this time, we are even starting to look a lot alike. But while I may not know much about Asia Minor, I have majored in relationship studies all these years, and I think I might can help with that. Your letter makes me think of how much Merle likes Long Wangs. After the United States won the war in Vietnam, a lot of Oriental people settled hereabouts. How Fuck and his family came here and started a restaurant out off the highway near Body Works, the men's only. Jim, Merle, and his best friend Olsen belonged to. Well, what the fucks discovered was that no one hereabouts in Poison Creek was much interested in Vietnamese food. They gave sushi a run, but most folks just thought it was really overpriced bait. I don't mind telling you there were some sad fucks around these parts. But then How had his big fuck idea. Long Wang's. He turned their restaurant into a Chinese place and not a minute too soon. His whole family was sleeping on the pantry shelves in the back of their storefront by that point. When they reopened, they call the place Long Wang's, which I think means good luck in Chinese because Merle said it's always been lucky for him. Many is the time that Merle takes a seat on Long Wang's banquette after Olsen has put him through a workout at Body Works. Merle says he has never failed to leave satisfied. It is a feeling that many here locally have about Long Wangs. Naturally, I was curious about the attraction to Long Wangs. I kept after Merle and one Sunday after church, I finally convinced him to show me why he loved Long Wangs so much. It was the perfect time to try because they have a buffet on Sundays. So I got a good taste of all Long Wangs have to offer. Well, sir, I have to tell you, I did not share Merle's devotion to Long Wangs any more than I had to whatever the fucks were serving. I have nothing against the fucks, but my taste runs to more local fare. My mistake was I didn't tell Merle. So every Sunday for I don't know how long after church, my day went straight to the fucks. I tried to find something I liked on the menu. I don't know what the fucks were doing, but nothing was to my liking. Then, when I was certain all the fucks' food tasted just the same, I tried talking them into making something I did like. That was worse. They are good people and an asset to Poison Creek, but you can't imagine what the fucks can do to fried chicken. I took to hiding food in my purse so I'd have something to eat after church. That worked until one Sunday, Merle forgot his wallet and reached in my bag for something to put in the collection plate and got a handful of macaroni salad. We laugh about it now, but I learned my lesson. Just because Merle likes long wangs doesn't mean I have to. So we went back to the Venom Marsh cafeteria and Merle went back to enjoying long wangs on his own. My point, Delight, is that the fact that I wasn't enjoying what the fucks had to offer did not mean there was anything wrong with Long Wangs. I was just in the wrong restaurant. There are plenty of people hereabouts who love Long Wangs, none more than my Merle. And a good thing, I tell you those are the happiest fucks for three counties. I'm just much happier choosing what I have a taste for than I am trying to force some poor fuck to do it my way. So, delight, it sounds to me like if you love living with a Turkish king, you're in the right house. And if you don't, well, maybe it's time to go back to the cafeteria and pick out something that you do like. Long wangs isn't for everybody, but lucky for the fucks, there's plenty who can't do without. And I'm proud to say that the happiest fucks in the world live in Poison Creek, USA. Till next time, I'm L.
1: Sams with Homemade Relationship Advice. If you have relationship questions, write to Nell, Care of The Dinner Party Show Facebook page or to Nell at thedinnerpartyshow.com. And
2: girl, whatever you do, stay or go, put your money in a mattress if you have to to keep his hands off
1: it. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And we're still your hosts, and this is still your show. And you are not on a network, so I don't know what else you were listening to, but we had that conversation earlier. Maybe you're joining us for the first time. Maybe you're listening to us on Stitcher or TuneIn, which we're on now. And we have to say something, so that's what we say.
2: (laughs) Next time we'll say best-selling authors, Christopher Rice and Eric Shockwin, because we like saying that too. But we're having the very special first annual Forky Awards, and we've just heard the third runner-up in the best serving category. (laughs) Do
1: we even know how our own award show works?
2: We're making it up as we go along just like all of the rest of the dinner party show. And now we have our runner up, our third runner up for
1: most special, special correspondent. That would be Lyle and Kyle otherwise known as two gay Christians with Uh, two snaps for Jesus. Everyone's favorite gay Christians. That's right. (laughs) It's Lyle and Kyle. And here they are. Take it away, Lyle and Kyle.
2: And now, as part of the dinner party show's commitment to celebrating spiritual traditions and religious faiths from all around the world, we bring you our first visit from two very special young men from Poison Creek, a beautiful town somewhere in the deep, 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 deep deep south. Their names are Lyle Johnson and Kyle DeWitt, but we like to call them two gay Christians.
1: Good evening, y'all, and we hope y'all are having a blessed weekend. I'm Lyle Johnson. And I'm Kyle DeWitt. Peace be with you, and also with
2: the lovely outfit you've got on. This
1: old thing, why, it's just a polo shirt and some jeans. I'm
2: actually talking to the gentleman in the booth with the fancy Star
1: Trek sweater. Oh, okay. Well, we'd like to thank Christopher and Eric for inviting us to join their special dinner party so we could talk about the party we have every Sunday morning at the First Assembly of Peace and Light and Love and Acceptance, Uh otherwise known as the former Smoothie King on Paper Mill Road. But
2: we put a lot of work into it and turned it into an honest-to-God temple of God.
4: Yeah, some of us did, and some of us just sort of stood in the back and pointed at where they wanted things to go.
2: Well... As Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil, mm-hmm. for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow.
1: Yes, and it also goes on to say, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up, oh, especially yeah. when he's hanging a light fixture he didn't approve of much in the first place.
2: I don't think Ecclesiastes says a single thing about light fixtures, silly Willie.
1: <laughs> it also doesn't say anything about how you're going to lift me up when I fall if you standing way in the back just watching me work.
2: I think it's time to talk about our church hats.
1: I think it's time to talk about how the church hat contest kind of played out rather quickly and wasn't a very good idea to begin with given that there are only so many ways you could recreate the Annunciation on a straw hat with a Barbie doll and some crepe paper. Uh,
2: I think it's time to talk about how there are other praiseworthy moments from Scripture besides the Annunciation.
4: But first, a lesson in forgiveness. Indeed. This
1: lesson centers on a newer member of our congregation, Mr. Forrest Dirksen, um, who was maybe a little too new to us to be placed in charge of concessions, even if he
4: was brought to us
1: by one of our oldest and most loyal members, Mr. Troy Parkerson. Who oldest. often brings us young, handsome men who are new to Poison Creek and to whom he is often lending a hand. Oh. Mm. Unfortunately, a great many of them have trouble paying attention to Miss Immaculate Concepcion's sermons.
2: And unfortunately, many of the older and less physically attractive members of our congregation spread rumors about these young men and use various apps on their smartphones to make it sound like these young men are snoring during the sermon.
1: Indeed, Miss Immaculate Concepcion is not only our pastoress extraordinaire, she is also the lead MC at our local men's watering hole, Slippery Seek. But thanks to the miracle of Visine and Adderall, she's able to work a late-night shift and then lead our services every Sunday morning. Praise
2: be. She is truly a miracle, that Miss Concepcione.
1: Indeed. Sometimes she just goes on and on and on. But back to Mr. Forrest Dirksen. Yes. You see... A few
2: Sundays ago, Forrest decided it would be appropriate to serve orange juice, coffee and happy cream donuts dressed in an outfit which apparently tested everyone's personal definitions of loving and inclusive, and all the other welcoming words we have painted on our frosted glass
1: door. Yes, because while we go to great lengths to emphasize that we are not your mother's church, there are some of us who don't find Daisy Dukes and a tattered tube top. Tank top. Tube top to be appropriate attire at anyone's church.
2: Yes, there was a great upset among those of us who couldn't mind their own business and leave Mr. Dirksen alone.
1: and they were met with an even greater upset among those who would rather spend their Sunday mornings focusing on Mr. Durkin's musculature instead of the word of the Lord.
3: Lord.
1: So, we turned, as always, to scripture. But after several brunches at Shoney's, many sharply worded Facebook messages and wall postings and some unfortunate voicemails, we failed to uncover a passage in the good book which sufficiently addressed everyone's feelings on this sensitive issue. So- as always, Lyle turned to a different sort.
4: Different, perhaps,
1: but one of my own personal messengers of the word of Christ as I see it revealed in his works all around oh, me. Praise a be. woman whose persona is so triumphant that just the mention of her name brings a holy shudder to my entire person. All right, now keep it together, sweetheart. And that messenger of the Lord is... Miss Reba McIntyre.
2: Lord, here we go. I
1: fell to my knees in reverence and adoration and combed through the entire Reba McIntyre songbook, most of which I have committed to memory and after hours of prayer, I came across a passage which was divinely suited to our predicament. Every time I turn the conversation to something deeper than the weather, I can feel you always shutting down. And when I need an explanation for the silence, you just tell me you don't want to talk about it now. What you're not saying is coming in loud and clear. We're at a crossroads here. In other words, he thought
2: we should just ask Forrest Dirkson why he had dressed like that for charge.
4: So he did. And as it
1: turns out, Forrest had not experienced the failure of good judgment we had all feared. You see, he had not specifically selected that tawdry outfit to wear to church.
4: He simply <laughs> hadn't had time to change from the night
1: before. <laughs> hate when the, as John
2: seven says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship
1: with one another. Yes, and the light apparently went on for Mr. Troy Parkerson, because he found out Forrest had stayed out all night, and that was the last time any one of us saw Forrest again. Oh, dear. Now, Miss Immaculate Concepcion says after Mr. Parkerson took away Forrest's truck, he moved out to Los Angeles to try some of that nude acting he was always talking about. But
2: the lesson in compassion, tolerance, and understanding was not lost on any uh-huh. of us. And
1: that's a good thing, because next, Mr. Parkerson brought a very large young man with him who asked us to call him Tiny Tim even though he was (laughs) 6'5 and then refused to put his phone away during the musical performance.
2: Which was very upsetting for all of us because Lyle was the one performing the song by none other than... Miss
4: Reba McIntyre.
2: Oh, Lord,
1: you guessed it. Well, that's all we have for you fine folks today. I'm Lyle Johnson. And I'm Kyle DeWitt. Peace be with you. And with everyone you want to strangle. See y'all soon. Stop by our church. Just turn left after USA Printing and ignore the no parking signs next to the dumpster. They're a few years old, and we don't know who's supposed to take them down.
3: Two snaps for Jesus. A new live cast of the Dinner Party show begins airing every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific at the com or through our free mobile app, and you can subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes where all of our shows are available anytime you want to listen. Enjoy, and thanks for listening to the Dinner Party show. Welcome back to
1: The Dinner Party Show. I'm New York Times best-selling novelist Christopher Rice. And I'm New York Times best-selling novelist Eric Shaw Quinn. (laughs) (laughs) You said it. We had to say it last time, so I thought I'd just go for it. Well,
2: we're just breaking it up. You know, here at the exciting first annual Forky Awards. Tell us what the Forky Awards are, Eric Shaw Quinn. Well, they're the... The regular listeners of The Dinner Party Show have voted for their favorite special correspondent and their favorite sketch, or best serving, as we're calling it here, because I insisted we come up with a better thing to call it than sketch, which seems a little reductivist
1: and minimizing, but that's really what they are, so I don't know. What are you do you think? It's hard to speak in words that other people will actually understand. It really is. It really is. That's,
2: I think it's why I'm so fond of the British.
1: Because they just, it's like, just what are will, they talking about?
2: I, right. My, one of my favorite Sign from my years living in London, well, not years, my year living in London, mm. was a sign on a store that said, Please always open the door inward so as to avoid scraping the glass on the pavement outside. In America, we have a similar sign, but it says, push.
1: <laughs> you know, I think it's good to let people in on why why you're asking them to do something. I think the British may take it a little far. I, there's always Why, why say one done. word?
2: Why say exit when you can say way out? Why yes. use one word when two will describe it better? I love the British.
1: I love it. I love it. I love it. For okay. many
2: reasons. But that's, you know, certainly one of them. Alright, so the other thing we're doing tonight is going through our top ten favorite lists for 2013, and we left off with our exciting number five. A little
1: disclaimer here. If you haven't been paying attention or you haven't been listening, Eric picked actually important things like... From politics and people coming out of the closet, and I picked a lot of pop culture. So I just want to—I want to diminish people's expectations of what I'm bringing to the table here. I just think we that it,
0: i think
2: it's a great mix. Okay, I yeah, think yeah, it's yeah. perfect. I think you need to stop acting like there's some something wrong with your list. One of my—I will put it on my 2014 list—is your 2013 list. <laughs> I think it's perfectly <laughs> fine. <laughs> ha ha!
1: All right. So number four. Do you want to go first? Or do you want me? To- Yes, uh, number four, I picked a wonderful BBC series called Broadchurch. Oh, which God, was, I love um, that. That I'd, was such a great series. I would really love it if maybe one of our party people could tell us where it was filmed. I believe it was filmed in Scotland, or were they supposed to be in Scotland in the series? I actually looked this up, and now I don't remember I it didn't anymore. look it up while I was watching the series, because I never Google anything about a British series when it comes on over here, because it has already aired in the UK, and I don't want to see any spoilers. Very sensible. So I'm just realizing now, it was, um, I guess, five or six episodes, maybe, about the murder of a young boy in a small seaside town. It's a contemporary mystery, multiple characters, beautifully directed. It was directed, as you pointed out to me in the beginning, in the sort of style and aesthetic as uh, the BBC Wallanders with Kenneth Branagh. Yes. Very visual, very stark. Uh, stark music. And
2: and it really made the location, part of the reason I think you're asking that, into a major player. Yes. In the in the piece itself, the the stark cliffs and the beach and the seaside community, all of all were as important as the characterizations right. of the wonderful actors. I understand they're making an American version. Oh, yeah, that's oh, I doesn't god. it might work, but not promising. The killing still, I still have a bad taste Ugh. in my mouth. Well, the killing was based on a Danish show, and even not a so. British show. Still, but even
1: so, yeah, oh, like god.
2: oh god, just really mm, not not so sure. Okay, so it's time for my number four, right? Yes, it's time for your number four. My fourth most favorite thing about 2013 is, as of 2013, 16 states now give gay people the right to marry. I think it's 17, if you count New Mexico, who can't think of any reason why gay people should not have equal rights. They don't have any laws against it, and so their local, I don't know, whoever hands out the marriage licenses... Decided they would start handing out marriage licenses to gay people because there's no law that says you can't. Is and there anyone there, in New like, Mexico
1: trying to stop it?
2: I think it's in court now, but okay. uh, but yeah, it was. I thought that was really cool. They were like, uh, we don't actually have a rule against this, so okay. uh, yeah, we're gonna start doing it. And I think they probably had to stop now, but but you know, they went the Gavin Newsom route, and so maybe we'll have 18 soon. But I love that little by little,
1: mm-hmm. you know, yeah. we're headed out there. Absolutely. All right, so that was my number four. My number three, another TV show from the BBC on its third season, and I will say it's the entire series that I really want to celebrate, not just the third season. It's Luther. Oh, God, I yes. love Luther. So Luther. great.
2: Edris Elba now has mm-hmm. a new movie out. He's playing Nelson Mandela. Yes, he Wonderful is. actor. Brilliant series. So scary. Oh, my God. So scary and so creepy scary. and weird and just the most interesting, really, like, in a in a in a medium that is just absolutely drowning in cop shows mm-hmm. for somebody to be able to step out from the crowd like this is really phenomenal i, I just really remarkable almost supernatural but really more at a creepy level not like you know ghosts and vampires thing nothing wrong with that but mm-hmm. it it finds a really interesting
1: sort of there is a kind of contemporary there. urban gothic feel to it Yeah. there is a i mean i guess the the, the logline of the show is this is the cop who goes after the most fucked up, violent, psychopathic killers. I guess if this were an American show, we would have the FBI doing this guy's job. But in, I guess there's a different relationship Luther, to law enforcement. he goes after the most fucked up, up criminals. The most fucked up psychopaths in the UK. And yes, they have them too, even though they don't have guns everywhere. Jack the Ripper is yeah. from the... Yeah, they came yeah. up with the idea. They came up with the idea. So anyway, Luther continues to be strong. And what I say to people who I recommend it to is that, as with most British shows, it is a much shorter season. So it's only four episodes in a season of Luther. Yeah, because that's about all you could take. Yeah, I don't think I could take anymore. It's really intense. Absolutely. All right, so that was my number three. What about you? My number three is that
2: Maine, Maryland, and Washington have, by popular vote, elected to give people equal rights and allow them to get married. We have stopped a long, long trend this year of people putting ballot initiatives on the uh, state ballots to take away gay people's civil rights and have them just automatically fall. They, We've actually turned the tide. Now when they put it on state ballots, they're starting to give people equal rights. Mm-hmm. I really love that. It's like a sea change in the tide in this country. I'm really happy to hear that. Good. My, the hardest part of Proposition 8 for me was – You know, feeling like God, do my fellow citizens really hate me this much? Mm -hmm. Who in this grocery store, who at this restaurant, hates me so much that they wouldn't want? It was a horrible feeling.
1: I think it's more a question of who in that grocery store wanted to believe that their own loveless marriage, that was defined by a crushing sense of obligation, should be the standard for uh, you know marriage and not who you actually love and want to be with. I think that was probably how they would articulate it to themselves in the darkness of their own miserable.
2: Maybe so, but it still made me feel just
3: like it was such a wonderful
2: election. I was. so happy Except that president for that. obama had yeah. been elected and we big and then there was this moment of bam it was like a gut punch yeah. anyway so i'm delighted to see that those kinds of Hateful referendums are starting to go the other way.
1: Yeah, great, excellent. All right, so number two, Christopher. Number two, and then we're going to reserve our number one for later, so that people wait and delicious. Well, we suspense. get to do my number two. Yeah, we're going to do my number two, and then your number two. Ew, number two. Ew, we have to stop ew, saying ew, that. Gross. Two. Oh, gross. I discovered an author this year. Let me actually. Let me start a little further back. I had always been aware that there was an exploding genre out there of gay romance novels written by women, and some of those women were. Less And some of them were not. And I had to dismiss them along the lines of what could these women possibly know. And then one night Mm. I thought, I have to investigate this. And I went online and I began researching some titles. And it turns out these women know a great deal. And their books are very interesting. Uh And the author that I discovered whose works are actually of really high quality is Harper Fox. She is Also British, I will have to say. Continuing, this is my third British entry in the best of 2013. For somebody who makes fun of me for loving all my British stuff. Oh, I've been converted. So yes, Harper Fox. The novel she released this year was called Brothers of the Wild North Sea. It is a gay romance between a Viking and a monk. Baby. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, if you like the show Vikings but wish it was good the, and, and had gay And wanted the sex, Viking
2: and the monk to get together because it keeps looking like they're going to. I keep watching so that weird. show because you think this week Travis Fimmel is going to kiss that monk.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: the most romantic book that I ever read uh, is a book called The Last of the Wine was written by Mary Renault.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so, there you go. Harper Fox, but she's got a lot of material. Some of it novella length and some of it novel length. It's all online. I recommend you check it out if you like well-written fiction with two guys getting it on. And my number two favorite for 2013, I guess you
2: probably saw coming from the last one, is that Proposition 8 has been repealed.
1: Excellent. Ding dong to
2: hate his dad, right? And I couldn't be happier. Like, we're moving to a to- place in the world where I can actually be happy and nobody has a
1: problem with that. Absolutely. Now, if we could All just right, get Henry Cavill to return oh your call, God. Right? Yeah. Actually, somebody who was a guest on the show in the past year, Jamie... Hebert, I think is how you say his last name. Alec Mappa's husband uh-huh. and the father, the other father of their Hebert? child, Jamie Bear. He's from Louisiana. That's correct. Yeah. He posted the day Tom Daly came out that if Henry Cavill was Tom Daly's boyfriend, he was literally just going to explode into gay flames. Oh, that
2: would make me so happy. It, wouldn't it? Just the cutest British, British like couple ever. Okay, well, that would be all right. Yeah. Nice I don't know him. if Henry's on our team, but no, I don't, no, know. I don't know. I can dream, can't I?
1: A boy can dream. Well, it's time for... Where are we at? We're at second runner up for best yes, serving. Yes, we are. And it looks like this is an Eric Shaw Quinn sketch. Eric Shaw Quinn, what is our second runner up for best serving? I am looking at my uh, on- the, the envelope- outline that you wrote last night. <laughs> the envelope, please. And
2: our second runner up for best serving is an entry uh, by our fairly imbalanced and fourth runner up winner, uh, Breck Artery. This was a very popular. Uh, <laughs> news from the home front sort of uh, your home front well sort of it's where I left my family when I last saw my family they were in South Carolina and so is Breck he's in Columbia, South Carolina talking about the shift in which is the craziest
1: Carolina Breck we take you to Breck Artery live from Columbia, South Carolina Breck This is Breck
2: Artery, live from Columbia, the state capital of South Carolina, where spontaneous celebrations are breaking out on the city's almost unnavigable main street. All around me, people are engaged in public displays of celebratory behavior in honor of something that hasn't been the case around here since the Revolutionary War. For the first time since almost anyone here can remember, North Carolina has taken the lead as the crazier Carolina. South Carolina, for years, the odds-on favorite as the hands-down crazier of the two Carolinas, with idiots fighting for the right to fly a symbol of the state's defeat and humiliation in the Civil War over the statehouse, Strom Thurmond representing the state for over 48 years in the U.S. Senate, and the present-day governor, Nikki Haley, Flirting with corruption and supporting racist voting policy while forcing state employees to answer the phone it's a great day in South Carolina, the southernmost Carolina seemed a slam dunk to hold the dubious title of fruit cake-iest. As the Northern Carolina joined the 20th and later the 21st century and began to prosper, South Carolina held fast to the kind of political atmosphere that gave rise to a governor who actually believed that it would go unnoticed when he took time off to go to South America to shock up with his mistress, while still in office. His cover story of hiking the Appalachian Trail not only added to the state's humiliation, but became a common euphemism for lying and cheating badly. Not content to humiliate his state by getting caught out on the worst excuse ever, the governor then held the most painfully embarrassing press conference ever. And then, rather than fade away, chose to return to Congress. Thankfully, with less emphasis on the previous hypocritical family values platform that made him such a target when the mistress hit the fan. South Carolina's resume of the reprehensible goes on and on, so it came as a great shock when their northern, fancier, more progressive neighbors suddenly surged ahead, eliminated all checks and balances by electing one party, guess which one, to rule both houses and the governor's mansion, and then the crazy just flew north for the summer. Even then, South Carolina, with years of experience in this area, continued to set the bar for wacko until North Carolina took on not only South Carolina, but truly awful places like Texas and Florida to surge into the lead. With virtually dictatorial powers, North Carolina lawmakers and their puppet in the governor's mansion began by stripping women's constitutional rights in a motorcycle safety bill this past month. And this month, they have taken the lead as a couple of sandwiches short of a summer picnic by sweeping away citizens' voting rights in an effort to combat a voter fraud problem that they claim is, and I'm quoting here, rampant and undetectable. Well, you can't argue with that kind of crazy and formerly red-faced citizens of this state are red in the face from shouting for joy that, for a moment at least, when the Attorney General and the national media are speaking ill of one of the Carolinas for a change, it isn't them. This is Beck Artery live from Columbia, South Carolina, wishing you good night
1: and good dinner. Welcome back to the Dinner Party Show. I'm bitch Christopher Wright. And I'm bigger bitch Eric Shaw Since we introduced ourselves as New York Times bestselling novelists in the previous segment, we thought we should be a little bit more humble this time out. Although, I don't know, being a bitch is now a term of honor. It's a very
2: big deal in this community.
1: We are counting down, or revealing, I should say, the winners of the Forkies, our first ever um, award for best... Sketch and Best Special Correspondent here on the Dinner Party Show for the Most previous special. year. Most special. Special-ist, as the kid Special. special. He's special. He's special. So, I, I, this is kind of an upset, I have to say. We don't normally consider this individual to be one I of our really best. I really was quite taken. With, I was
2: so surprised that this was even a nominee, let alone our second runner-up. I mean, the almost... First place winner,
1: second runner-up for most special correspondent here at the dinner party show is Fitzpatrick, Jordan Ampersand's assistant. I guess you will best friend. I, yeah. He is uh, usually under the influence of some sort of chemical. And most side of what kick. he says side kick, kick to side, yeah, or kick to side the, the curb, kicked. something or side kicker or
2: you know connection would yeah. probably be a better. He is probably Jordan's supplier, but yeah, okay, so. I'm delighted to know that he's a favorite with uh, the listeners and with the fans and with the people who are doing the nominating and the voting. Actually, quite a showing in the polls. So uh, here, without further ado, is uh, from one of
1: uh, his... (laughs) Fitzpatrick doing something crazy. I think we've dug up the uh, review that he assisted with, that Jordan Ambersand gave of Star Trek Into Darkness this summer outside the Grove Theater here in beautiful Los Angeles. Take it away, Jordan and Fitzpatrick, the real winner here.
4: Hi everyone at the Dinner Party Show. This is Jordan Ampersand coming to you from outside of the movie theater at The Grove in beautiful Los Angeles, where I just saw the new Star Trek movie. Joining me today is my best friend, Fitzpatrick, although he's not going to be my best friend for very much longer if he keeps this up. Stop crying and say hi, Fitzpatrick.
0: Why is everyone at the movie so rude? They all push and shove and eat their candy so loud. Fitzpatrick,
4: why did you get sober? This is horrible. I go over there
0: during our pitch meeting with a big Hollywood producer.
4: Yeah, but we got an option after the meeting, so it sounds like it was a good strategy to me.
0: We didn't get an option. We got an email. They're the same thing. No, they're not, Jordan. The email said we were never allowed to go back on the lot again.
4: Whatever. We wanted to make a movie. We didn't want to work on their stupid lot. They make movies on the
0: lot, Jordan, and I already had a job there. I worked in the canteen. They fired me. Maybe I could get a job here at the movie theater, but everyone
4: here is so mean. Why do people text during movies? It's so rude. That was me, and I was not texting. I know. I was taking notes for my very serious movie review, which we've still not gotten to because you're so busy being sober. Oh my god, I just realized how could you do this to me now? Gay Pride is just a few weeks away and we're supposed to do parade coverage for the dinner party show. Why
0: they hate you? No,
4: what? Well, they are trying to understand me, which is a big difference. That's why they keep asking me back on the show. They keep asking you back because Anne Rice fans love to make fun of you. Oh really? Then how come I'm supposed to interview her the next time she comes on the show? How come she has no
0: plans to come on the show? Okay, that is
4: enough. Now, I let you come with me today because you said if I left you home alone, you would either start painting or drawing stupid crap about your feelings. Uh And I cannot deal with bad sober art Uh now that we're in swimsuit season because it makes me stressy. Please, enough, chill. (laughs) Okay, 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 okay. Star Trek Into Darkness. It's in 3D. Oh, my God, so what? Like, everything's in 3D now. Pretty soon, they're all going to be, like, real life now in 3D. Real life
0: is in 3D. That's the point, Jordy.
4: Okay, you were starting to sound a lot like Eric Shaw Quinn. Well, actually, I'm trying to think... Shut up! If I wanted to go to the movies with Eric, I'd be in some old-time British woman's movie where British women talk about old people things, and it's all supposed to be interesting just because they're wise and have a lot of life experience, and then two old people would kiss, and it would horrify Uh. me because I don't like old people kissing. Uh. Anyway, okay... This movie, Star Trek Into Darkness, is about a ship that goes into the stars and Chris Pines looks really hot Mm -hmm. when he cries and that's good because he cries a lot. Uh Zoe Saldana is fierce as always, but it's not in it enough because the big talk of this movie is the villain. And the villain is played by Marmaduke Happenslatch. And because he's the villain, he's British and thinks he's all smart and talks in big words. So they try to capture and defeat him because who likes a big smarty pants when you're in space? I know I don't. The other critics are all very impressed with Burner Sloot Haberdash's performance, but personally, I'm not feeling it. Maybe I'm just too stressed out about the infiltration of Hollywood by British actors just because they talk good and do a better job. Personally, I would rather actors from Eastern Europe be taking over all good roles because I've seen porn films from there, and those guys are totally hot until they're like 24. So anyway, (laughs) that's my movie review. Star Trek Into Darkness is in 3D and stars British guy Metternich Happenstance, and I was just like, whatever. (gasps) Jordan, you're a terrible movie critic. Fitzpatrick, I have had enough. I am going home now to take care of me because this has been an awful, awful day. You, on the other hand, are going to walk home and on the way, I want you to buy drugs from someone and take them because you're stressing me the fuck out. We have something here, Fitzpatrick, and it's too valuable to be messed with just because you were legally dead for 15 seconds.
0: You are not Horrible person. Why am I friends with you?
2: Get
4: high again and you'll remember. Now that's it. I'm leaving. Ow!
2: WTF. Watch where you're going, little girl.
4: Fuck you. I'm a 32-year-old man. You're how old? Fitzpatrick. Drugs. Now.
3: The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. If you don't have anything nice to say, you'll feel right at home.
1: Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm still Christopher Rice. And I'm still a bit confused, but I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. I think we're back
2: to do... We're going to wrap up our <laughs> top 10 list for 2013, right? Yes, exactly. We have one thing. We each have our top favorite. I bet everybody can guess by this point what my top favorite thing is going to be for 2013. I, I can't. What's your top favorite thing Really, be? Doma is oh, dead. Oh, Doma is dead. Doma is dead. I'm almost a citizen of this country. <laughs> I've only lived here for... 50
1: for 152 years. You were born in Germany. You're a spy. You're a dual citizenship. I'm actually a naturalized citizen. A naturalized citizen. Words, big words.
2: Eric Sharp is always trotting out the big words. I think they rolled me in uh, Adolf's meat tenderizer and bay leaves, and that made me naturalized. I'm not sure how that works, but I'm a naturalized citizen. And now the government seems to begin to think so too. Doma is dad. Ding dong. Doma is dad. Thank you, Edie. She should have been Time Magazine's person of the year because she was the Pope, which was like, what? Who Who just said stuff and put his hand on a child's head? But didn't actually do anything. Right. So I think we should have started with her. Also, she's not getting any
1: younger. I'm just saying. I'll say. Okay, so Eric picks a landmark advance in gay civil rights and I pick a device made out of plastic and electronics that enables mass consumerism on an epic scale and that's the new Kindle Fire HDX is my favorite thing of the year. I haven't tried it yet, but I can't wait to get my hands on it. It's a beautiful, beautiful device and I know Amazon is a controversial company with many of our listeners and many of our guests, especially because of the effect they've had on the book industry, but this is is a beautiful device seamless device that i have put down maybe right now is the first time i've put it down since i bought it several weeks ago i've just been devouring books on it i have not yet fully explored the world of video on it but over the holidays we were with my mother and thanksgiving and almost everything we watched came to us via amazon and yeah. video so you know i have always been of the opinion and i hate that i feel like i have to qualify my favorite thing that um Amazon has largely won the battle that they have staked out for themselves, and we need, as writers and content creators and publishers, begin to find ways to work with them. The prognosis or the long-term prognosis for Barnes & Noble is not good, and I, I love Barnes & Noble, and I know many people who work for Barnes & Noble, and I want to see them thrive, but their nook did not emerge as a viable competitor I to I hope Kindle. Amazon
2: will buy. And Barnes and Noble and that they will continue to exist yeah. uh, you know in a way that allows us to be able to go in and pick up the Kendall Fire and play with it and in person and see some of the merchandise. I mean, they're a huge retailer in this I country. Know, yeah, why and not I, have actual brick-and-mortar yeah. outlets? I, I love that they're principally online, but I've always thought that would be the perfect marriage. I'd love to see that happen.
1: As we mentioned earlier, Amazon also publishes content that I like. They publish books and authors that I really enjoy reading, like Blake Crouch. Blake Crouch was someone who didn't meet with a lot of success in the traditional publishing world and brought himself back out as a self-publisher as they call them indie author on right. Amazon and and I love it and I'm, so I'm not going to put them down for doing that and it would so. be a
2: place that you could go and see their books that Absolutely. they actually that are not being in any bookstore right now. Barnes &
1: Noble will not carry any of the titles they publish, and only a few independent bookstores will, but they often won't get a placement. And I, I, I'm i partial to these books because they're my genre. They're sci-fi, they're fantasy, they're a lot of the genres that were steadily neglected by traditional publishing over the years, particularly as the mass market paperback market contracted. So,
2: And I will say that in general, with all of the, um, you know, like these may be my favorite things for 2013, but probably if I was looking at my favorite things so far in the uh the 21st century it would probably be tablets. Yeah. I mean they are the first real advance since personal computers that I've seen in the world. Like phones or cell phones have been around forever and they've gotten better and more interesting and do more fun stuff, but tablets are really a new thing. I was excited about them and they continue to evolve and I think this new Kindle Fire is really just continuing in that tradition of this exciting new I think like Star Trek technology.
1: It's like a tricorder or something. Right. It's amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. All well, right, then. Maybe next year I'll have a favorite thing that I don't feel I have to give a political justification to. But for now, it's time for us to. We're so almost you, at the you end. You said of yours the... weren't about politics. And it well, turns out
2: your number one thing was as politically charged as any of it mine. It was
1: still about my industry. It was a little closer to home. Maybe next year I'm going to try to be a little bit more in touch with what's going on on the news. You know, you always make fun of me because I will go to the Huffington Post but I'll read the headlines and not the articles. So I'll be like, there was a shark attack in Northern California. And you'll start asking me, well, where did anyone die? And I'll go, I I don't know. It wasn't in the headline. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well,
2: I, you know, I have to say when I sat down to write my 10 favorite things, I, you know, like I was thinking about, well, I love the blacklist and I love, so what are the big, it was just such an amazing year in terms of, I started with DOMA. You know, I thought, well, I can't think of anything that I'm more happy about than Doma, and then the list just sort of evolved from there. I I think I would have I've had years that would have been more about products or movies or TV shows or whatever, which I love. God knows, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, no, yeah, no sense of superiority there. It just it was such a landmark year. I just kind of went in that direction, right. But- well, good. You know, those things have happened, so they won't be on the list next year.
1: Exactly. Maybe end up. And now They're it's crossed. time for the winner. Back for to b- the Forkies. Best serving. This is the, uh, yeah, this is the big winner. Oh, the, for the, God's the forky
2: sake. Forky goes to. This is to... the winner. Oh, man. Yeah, Christopher is just thrilled about
1: this one. Thanks, party people, for one last round of this. Our winner. For best serving is the sketch, How Far Can Christopher Get Reading His Mother's Porn? And apparently we're going to see again, spoiler alert, not very far. (laughs) So here without further
2: ado is Christopher reading his mother's porn. Thanks, party people. For those of you who listen to The Dinner Party Show on a regular basis, you might recall the moment a few weeks ago when Christopher made it known on air that he would never read any of the Sleeping Beauty trilogy by A.N. Rokalar, despite the fact that this erotic, sadomasochistic take on the classic fairy tale was recently reissued with great success. The reason for Christopher's refusal? Well, A.N. Rokalar, it turns out, is just a pen name for Christopher's mother, Anne Rice. Since so many of you were taken aback by Christopher's outright refusal to read sexually explicit material written by his own mother, we here at The Dinner Party Show decided it was time for a little experiment. We expend so much energy challenging the beliefs of our listeners, we thought it was time to challenge Christopher's beliefs instead. So here it is, our first installment of a new special series, How Far Can Christopher Get Reading His Mother's Porn? Enjoy. Okay. I can do this. I can totally do this. Okay. Of course you can. Just fire up that Kindle and
1: bring up the book. Let's not tell people I'm using a Kindle for this because we don't want bookstore owners getting bent out of shape about how all. All I right. Would... Let's stop stalling instead. Fine, oh, okay. Fine fine, fine. fine. All right. All right. All right. <clears throat> Here goes. <clears throat> I've always loved the fairy tale Sleeping Beauty and found something erotic at its core. The prince awakens beauty. Not with a... the preface to the new edition. Start at the first. Chapter. Okay, fine. The prince had all his young life known the story of Sleeping Beauty, cursed to sleep for a hundred years with her parents, the king and queen, and all of the court, after pricking her finger on a spindle. But he did not believe it until he was inside the castle. Even the bodies of those other princes caught in the thorns of the rose vines that covered the walls had not made him believe it. They had come believing it, true enough, but he must see for himself inside the castle. Careless with grief for the death of his father and too powerful under his mother's rule for his own good, he cut these awesome vines at their roots and immediately prevented them from ensnaring him. It was not his desire to die so much as to conquer. And picking his way through the bones of those who had failed to solve the mystery, he stepped alone into the great banquet hall. The sun was high in the sky and those vines had fallen away, so the light fell in dusty shafts from the lofty windows. And all along the banquet table, the prince saw the men and women of the old court sleeping under layers of dust, their ruddy and slack faces spun over with spider webs. This is actually pretty good. Okay, he gasped to see the servants dozing against the walls, their clothing rotted to tatters. But it was true, this old tale, and, fearless as before, he went in search of the sleeping beauty who must be at the core of it. Uh Uh-oh. In the topmost bedchamber of the house he found her. He had stepped over sleeping chambermaids and valets, and, breathing the dust and damp of the place, he finally stood in the door of her sanctuary. Her flaxen hair lay long and straight over the deep green velvet of her bed, and her dress in loose folds revealed the rounded breasts and limbs of a young woman. He opened the shuttered windows, the sunlight flooded down on her, and, approaching her, he gave a soft gasp as he touched her cheek and her teeth through her parted lips and then her tender, rounded eyelids. Her face was perfect to him, and her embroidered gown had fallen deep into the crease between her legs so that he could see the shape of her sex beneath it. Uh, He drew out his sword, with which he had cut back all the vines outside, and gently slipping the blade between her breasts, let rip easily the old fabric. Her dress was laid open to the hem, and he folded it back and looked at her. Her nipple... Okay, no, 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 that's it. Let's just stop right there. Let's stop right there. Really? Nipples? That's what's doing you in here? It's my mother. For Christ's sake! And yeah, she's read every one of your books. I lost count of the blowjobs in it. Oh right! All right! All right! Fine! 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 Okay. Uh, um. He cut the sleeves away, lifting her ever so gently to free the cloth, and the weight of her hair seemed to pull her head down over his arms, and her mouth opened just a little bit wider. He put his sword to one side, he removed his heavy armor, and then he lifted her again, his left arm under her shoulders, his right hand between her legs, his thumb on top of her pubis. No, 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 that's it, that's it, I'm not, I can't, I'm sorry. Oh,
0: come on. I'm
1: done at pubis, that's it, I'm sorry. All right, we'll try for more next week. There's not gonna be a next week.
2: We hope you've enjoyed the first installment of our new series, How Far Can Christopher Get Reading His Mother's Porn? The answer for now, not very far apparently.
1: Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm fading natural blonde, Christopher Rice. (laughs) And pornographer's son. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? She's an eroticizer. She's an erotiker. It's erotica. It's not porn. I think it's absolutely... Well, that's not the title of the sketch. They call it
2: mommy porn now. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And, uh, Your mother does not. My write mother porn. does not write porn or like any of the porn that she's seen that I've written. So,
1: <laughs> but she does listen to our show. Do her comment on our show again. Remember what she said to me. Well, you boys will can just go
2: on and on and on forever. Forever? She actually had a forever in there. Maybe so. I
1: don't know how y'all talk that much. You all sure can just talk about anything. Yeah. We sure can. That's why we got a radio show, Miss Jeannie. Because we have lots to say. Absolutely. We need places to say it. Is she still listening to the show? I think so. Does she call you to say
2: things about it? Uh, Not really. So I'm not... We'll see. Maybe If she mentions this, okay, Mom,
1: so if you're listening to the show, mention it to me because... I don't think she's really listening anymore. Yeah, I know. A lot of our close friends were that way. They started listening in the beginning, and they were like, oh, your show's great. I subscribed on iTunes. I mean, and, and then they stopped talking about it. And then they stopped talking about it. But we have one friend who was honest about it, which I thought was really good, because usually there's a big story when you ask, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, no, I was listening to your show when I used to go to the dentist, but I, I haven't been to the dentist yet. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Um, but the, our friend Dan, I was like, are you still listening to our show? And he was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I yeah, stopped. No, I'm over it. <laughs> I stopped. <laughs> All right, so the ultimate forky. I just also want to say that um, Eric Sharquin came up with the name for these. I didn't come up with that name forky. Yes, yeah, the dinner a, fork. I thought it you should, I'm giving you credit. Yeah, I actually think it's absolutely. a good name. Absolutely, I think it's the perfect name for the awards here. Well, I guess this isn't going to surprise anyone.
2: I don't think it. anybody's even like this is the least surprising of every announcement on the list.
1: Fitzpatrick was the big surprise. That on the list, Fitzpatrick I think. was the upset. But let me just add here that one of the reasons. This special correspondent's appearances on our show. I'm just my grammar is just going to go out the window because it's the end of the year and I'm tired. But this correspondent would not work well within the framework of the dinner party show if he didn't have the constant and not so gentle guidance of my co host Eric Shaw Quinn. So let me just let me just put that out there that really part of this forky should go to you, Eric. Well, thank you. That means so much to me. <laughs> and now the winner of our most special correspondent is critic at large, Jordan Ampersand. Oh, God. And now, here to deliver an end-of-year wrap-up
2: of cultural happenings around Los Angeles he never attended and can't even remember the names of, it's Jordan Ampersand. The dinner party show's critic at large. <coughs> Stop that. No! I mean it, Jordan.
4: But it's almost New Year's Eve. Aren't you excited?
2: Actually, I was more excited to hear Christopher wrote a script for you to read for this entire segment. A script you are now ignoring totally, apparently. But it's my duty to remind you and Christopher, if he's listening, that a condition of your continued involvement in this show was that you be provided with a complete script for Every single one of your appearances, a script from which you are not allowed to deviate. I
4: can't read. I'm a visual person. Reading
2: is visual.
4: Are you upset because you don't have anyone special to spend New Year's Eve with?
2: I will be spending New Year's Eve in the company of several close friends, actually, so I'll be with a lot of special someone's. Thank you very much.
4: Like a gangbang?
2: Is there a reason you care?
4: Well, if you end up lonely, my friend Rodrigo is running the New Year's Eve special. He's reduced his hourly rate, his STD panel just came back clean, and he'll throw in kinky foot stuff for free. So if you change your mind... I
2: guess I'm not surprised you've got such... Um, friends.
4: what is that supposed to mean? You think because I have a friend who's a critically acclaimed escort that that means I'm some <laughs> Well, there of... were
2: those underwear shots of you that surfaced on the web after your first appearance on this show.
4: Whatever. I only took those photos because I was new to L.A. and oh. the photographer promised me sandwiches and a place to sleep. Sandwiches. I'm not some hooker.
2: Point taken. And I appreciate the offer, but no, I will not be requiring Rodrigo's services this New Year's Eve. Suit Thank
4: yourself, you. but you seem like you need to blow off some steam.
2: Yeah, and I know just where to blow it. Okay, Jordan, it's time for your year-end wrap-up. Okay, first,
4: the- New Year's plan. Seriously, the past few weeks have been really stressful. My initial plans for New Year's Eve totally fell through. You see, I was going to be a sexy heavey what? at the— What? Th- what the hell does that uh, of mean? Of course you don't know what I'm talking about because you're old— Heave is an all-night New Year's Eve dance party that happens downtown in an old Ralph's grocery store. Actually, I think it's still a Ralph's because that's why there are always oranges everywhere and we all get arrested at the end. Anyway, my friends and I have attended every year and after dropping some major hints to the promoters, I was finally hired to be one of the sexy baby New Year's who come dancing out of a giant sperm balloon Lady Gaga style at midnight. Or as they call them, heavies. Unfortunately, and it's a big unfortunately My best friend Fitzpatrick read over the contract rather closely, and he noticed that the body paint I would have been required to apply to myself has been linked to multiple cases of ovarian damage.
2: Why is that a problem?
4: You would have me die for body paint?
2: No, Jordan, you don't have ovaries.
4: How do you know? Because
2: you're a boy, Jordan.
4: I know, but Fitzpatrick said we grew them after we turned 16. No, we don't. Shit, I could have been a heavey.
2: Uh call them back. Maybe there's still time. No,
4: see, I kind of scratched the word baby killer into the promoter's car with my keys. Oh, yeah,
2: that's gonna... Maybe he doesn't know it was you. No,
4: see, he does because I kind of went over to the Abbey afterwards and I told him what I had done then I threw a drink in his face but it landed on his mom who was visiting. Brilliant plan. I kind of feel like it was my duty to stand up for everyone who wears body paint at least once a week. Well,
2: now you know why they have that old saying, don't burn your bridges before before you've hatched out of a giant sperm balloon for some extra cash. Do they really say that? So, I take it you've made new plans for New Year's Eve, and if I try to keep you from talking about them, it's just going to shave a year off my life. So.
4: Well, our New Year's Eve plans are still in development, but we've run into a big snag, and her name is Linda Sudavi, and she is our landlady, and she doesn't want us having a party at the building after she caught us attaching a confetti cannon to a cat on the 4th of July. <sighs> Jesus Christ, Jordan. It was a stray cat. Why did everyone get so upset? Stray cats will, like, eat you. Was the cat okay? Yes, Linda Sudabi took it in and now it lives with her because she's old and lonely and miserable. She's also Persian, and so she's mad all the time because Persia, like, isn't really there anymore or something. Okay, let's
2: watch the racism, all right, Jordan?
4: Whatever. Racism is over. I hooked up with, like, five black guys last week. Anyway, Linda Sudabi has to stay in L.A. now because there's no more Persia, so she owns Buildings and buys BMWs and gets really mad at us when the rent is like six months late. So we mm-hmm. went to her really? about our extravaganza and she was all like, No, DJ Bottomtron can't perform on the roof of the building at 3 a.m. This is a residential building. And I'm like, Oh my God, Linda Sudavi, where are we? Scarsdale? This is West Hollywood, for Christ's sake. It's called the Creative City. It's supposed to be a safe place for artists, candle makers, and strippers. And now it's all old Persian women and people from AA meetings who won't move off the sidewalk when you're trying to get by. I mean, God damn it. New Year's Eve is always supposed to be the best night oh. of our lives and if Linda Surdavi doesn't let us throw our party I'm gonna be stuck on a goddamn city bus at four in the morning and I won't have any more ecstasy and Fitzpatrick and everyone else will all be hooking up with hotter guys than me and I'll just be sitting there alone wondering why New Year's Eve is always terrible and why my life sucks <laughs>
2: Jordan, are, are you going to be okay? <laughs> do, do you need the tissue?
4: No, I had my snot glands removed.
2: Oh, Jordan, is it is it possible that you're the one who's a little upset he doesn't have anyone special to spend New Year's Eve with?
4: I try, but I can't meet the right man. Well, Who would the
2: right man be, Jordan?
4: Well, he would need to be really hot. I see,
2: yeah. So you're the gay man who's really into hot guys. I'm glad we got that cleared up. Well,
4: not just that, but he also needs to be really smart. Like, the perfect guy for me would spend all his time at the gym, but make a lot of money so that he could pay for everything. And also, I want him to get along with all of my friends, but I want him to be older and smarter and richer than all of my friends because they're always broke. And also, he needs to look just like Channing. Him, but in that one photo well, that when she was younger reasonable. and still a stripper. Uh-huh. But I need him to be like a lawyer or something. And also he needs to be into Kasha because I worship her. But every time I have sex with a guy, they're clearly not all those things at really? the same time. So I ask them to leave after we're done with whatever weird role play they've talked me into.
2: Well, uh, Jordan, maybe the problem is that you're looking for one person to be all of those – Oh. For Christ's sake, why am I even trying? You know what, Jordan? Why didn't you focus less on New Year's Eve and more on New Year's resolutions? What does
4: that mean? It
2: means that ideal boyfriend you just described is a childish fantasy driven by pornography and bad romantic comedies, apparently. No man will ever be all those things at once, Jordan. No man who actually has the kind of job where he'll be earning enough to support you and your... Kasha Habit, is going to be able to spend all of his time at the gym supporting your addiction to unrealistic, airbrushed body ideals. I
4: don't see what any of this has to do with New Year's resolution.
2: Grow up, Jordan. That could be your New Year's resolution. Grow up. And while you're at it, you might want to exercise a little less contempt for yourself by learning how to appreciate men who are a little more like you.
4: So, is this like that question where if you had a twin, would you have sex with him? If
2: that's the closest you're ever going to get to considering this issue, then yes, Jordan. It's just like that question.
4: Oh, okay, will my twin be versatile? Time's
2: up, Jordan Ambersand. 2012 is almost over.
4: Okay, good. Everything will be fine. I'm sorry I went crazy.
2: It does usually turn out for you in your end. Now, doesn't it?
4: Yeah. Linda Sue Davi will totally let us have our party if Fitzpatrick starts giving her weed again.
2: Bless her heart.
4: Happy New Year, Eric Shaquin. Remember, if you get lonely.
2: I'll lift a glass to all the close friends I'll be spending the evening with and reflecting on how it's a gift to have lived for another year.
4: Okay, sure. If you want Rodrigo's number, I'll send it to you. But first, you have to unblock me on Facebook because I. Get
2: out, Jordan. Welcome back to the first annual Forky Awards here on the Dinner Party Show, and you know we haven't really thought this all the way through, and it's a special, and it's an award show, and so despite uh, my opinions to the contrary, it was kind of too late for me to prevent uh, our next guest uh, from coming on to make his acceptance speech for having been selected as this year's most. Oh my special God! Hurry up. Okay, so here without further ado is Jordan Ampersand.
4: Thank you, party people. (laughs) On behalf of how amazing I am, I would just like to thank you for recognizing that I'm amazing. This past year has been full of challenges for me, and they were mostly the kind of challenges faced by people who aren't hot. So it's all been very confusing. I got a DUI, and I couldn't drive anywhere while people were looking, and that was really hard because people are looking at me all the time because I'm cute. Also, I lost my best friend Fitzpatrick to New York, and then I got him back, but I had to fake kill myself almost. Anyway, it's been a really hard year, and I just want to thank all the party people for being there while I proved nothing bad in my life is really ever my fault, especially now that I'm doing CrossFit. Anyway, I know Eric might disagree because he's old, and Christopher doesn't care because he's really tall and he keeps getting distracted by stuff he can see over our heads. But I'm honored to accept this forky because it means the other giant losers on this show didn't get one. And they don't make awards for all the reality shows I've been on, so I guess this is kind of my award for those two, which is fair. Okay, so finally, thanks, Hookers.
1: Well, that was really moving.
2: Thank you, Jordan. Now, Get out of this office.
1: Okay. I did, He did not give me the text of that speech. I'm very sorry. I didn't. I asked him to send it you to You know, like, I, the apologies that you owe us all for Jordan Ampersand really so expand so far beyond that particular speech. You know speech. what? You know what? I... I I knew that if we had the four keys, that he was going to win and you were going to be this way about it, so I, I don't really know, know. I knew
0: he
2: was going to win, too, and I, it doesn't really change anything. I mean, I'm glad he's on the show, and so I'm never going to say that again, but, you know, people listen, and uh, that's the idea of having a show, but I don't have to like it.
1: Do we? Can we put that on a hot key, please, that Eric Shaw Quinn just said he's glad that Jordan Ampersand Absolutely is on the show? Absolutely not. Because I didn't say that. Because let me tell that. you who else is glad he's on the show, the 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 crazy, fucked-up listeners that we have who somehow identify with Jordan's completely shallow, morally bankrupt point of view on the world. I don't think
2: they identify with it. I think that they join me in looking down on it.
1: As I said, half of that forky should have gone. In fact, you know what? I think I'm going to email Jordan and see if we can have the forky cut in half so that half of it. Do you think that will? Will I, he agree I to that? I just really would like to hear his reaction. Okay, that's fine. Well, this has been the first ever annual and forky awards. You've made it
2: possible. You've made the last year possible. We thank you for that. We thank you for voting. We thank you for your nominations, and we just wanted a little something to celebrate, and close out the year with. Oh my God!
1: Oh my God! I thought we—they weren't even
0: in contention. I didn't really. Oh my God! Oh,
2: worst dancer. We
0: couldn't have the worst dancer. Oh, get that! No, no, don't. No, I just. No, 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 no. Those are the gifts for the. Oh my God! It last time was the cat. Why? The cat. I just don't understand this. people. You hired them. Oh my God! wait, right, this is. Uh, yeah. we're Winners. Worst dancers. Oh my God! The
1: only thing oh. that would make. It, oh,
2: and we're... Okay. So, well, now everybody's been covered. I think there's nothing left. Why didn't we fire them? We fired Tuan, but not the wrestlers Like Dancers. Did we not
1: review them? they're getting reviewed next year.
2: Okay, we're definitely putting them on the list. So, something else to do our New Year's resolutions. Yeah,
1: exactly. So,
2: I'm Christopher Rice. And uh, next time we'll be you'll be the guests. <laughs> I'm Christopher the, the Rice. Party show, and <laughs> Christopher's had it with <laughs> this I'm uh,
1: Christopher Rice. No, I'm just kidding. Yes, next time you all will be the guests. We'll be back our first show in January will be an hour of unscripted live talk right we'll
2: chat with you and take your questions live on the Facebook page here at the Dinner Party Show but for now uh, happy holidays Merry Christmas it's after the fact and uh, happy new year to everybody so uh, have a great time and thanks again for another great year
1: I'm Christopher Rice and I'm Eric Shaw Quinn and you've been putting up with the Dinner Party Show thanks
0: to a marvelous party.